I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, comment below so that we can start conversations that create a new tomorrow today. I've got with me Matt Javitt, and he is an amazing person, five-time international sales award winner, host of uh, Amazon Prime video show, World Barbershop Adventures, author of Police, a brotherhood in uh, uniform around the world. He's a culture ambassador. Matt, why don't you tell a little bit more about your story and how you got to this place of, uh, you know, being such a su success with a uh, large multinational as well as starting your own companies. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess in that summary, uh, you, there's a lot of dreaming going on there and, and living out my dreams. Um, started off with in a humble beginning. My parents um, got pregnant at an early age. And so my dad had to join the Navy at age 17 and um, which started uh, our, my journey around the U.S. As, as a Navy brat, went to eight, eight schools, three high schools, um, finished up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But through that journey as a, as a, a kid, uh, I was a pretty good ba basketball player and a, a, a good athlete, which ended up turning into me being a Division One ba basketball player. I finished up my um, my bachelor's at University of North Carolina Greensboro as a um, academic All-American. And then I went on to get my master's degree down in Texas while I coached basketball at a junior college and, um, and then started a, a small company, which brought me back to Indianapolis because Indianapolis was the favorite place for my parents. So when my dad retired from the Navy, they came back to Indy and it just made sense for me to get back close to my family and run this, this company with my brother, uh, bartending at night, hustling during the day. And, uh, and that led into uh, my wife walking in the door one day uh, as I was bartending. I fell in love instantly. Her not so much, but I convinced her that this was a good idea. And we uh, got engaged eight months later, got married eight months after that, uh, just celebrated 15 years. So uh, I keep telling her it was the, it was the right call at, the, at that time. And then uh, her, her father uh, helped me make sense that it wasn't a great idea for me to bar be a bartender and, and start uh, my, my marriage with my wife, which led me into the mortgage industry. Had a great run in the, uh, in the mortgage industry before the recession hit, and then that changed everything. And uh, thank God I was recruited by a technology company to come in and uh, start sales in the technology uh, world, which I knew nothing about. Struggled my tail off for two years, but outworked the competition and just, just really worked hard to understand it better and, and get and improve my skills. And then, um, then hit, a, hit, a, hit a hot streak, which led into me winning five international sales awards, uh, working for this amazing global company based out of France. And the coolest thing about working for an international company is when they do their sales incentive awards for the sales folks, they take us to amazing places. And in this case, we had a chance to go to Istanbul, Turkey, um, Goa, India, Chiang Mai, Thailand, Cape Town, South Africa. And one year they came to Miami, Florida. And on all those trips, when they would take the top 40 sales professionals, uh, we could also bring our, our wives and our spouses. So uh, Nikki went along with me. And uh, we just... We just fell in love with travel. I was somebody that had a chance to see the United States because um, I grew up in, in a military home and also playing college hoops. I had a chance to go around the, the U.S. And, and play in different uh, college campuses, but never saw international travel. 
and I was blown away. It was just, it just shocked me to the core and I loved everything about it. And so we started setting huge goals to, to have a chance because every time we'd fly home on those trips after 10 or 12 days on vacation, like Americans have, I would always uh, be dreaming about the next location, looking at the magazine in the back of the, uh, that little, that little pam- the, the pamphlets in the back of the airplane uh, in the seats. And I would just sit there and just dream of those next locations. So we started thinking about like, what if we could do this full time? What if this was something that we could um, set out and pause our careers and just go live it? And that's what we did. Uh, February of 2017, single backpack a piece. We left uh, for uh, a one-way ticket to Santiago, Chile and spent 27 months traveling to 35 countries around the world and uh, really just lived out uh, that dream and just had an amazing time doing it. And uh, it, was, it was such a blast. Wow. <clears throat> that is uh that's quite an adventurous uh you know adventurous story uh you know a lot of people are doing that nomadic traveling these days yeah. and it's interesting to me because i believe that the only way to get out of our own heads and our own mindsets is to go see what the heads and mindsets are of other people and to explore their culture, but not as, as an American, so to speak, exploring a foreign culture, but more as somebody who's an anthropologist almost looking at that culture as something to study and admire and find interesting enough to have conversations with locals and, and so on. So that's always been an interesting thing to me everywhere I've ever gone you know the attempt has been to not blend in but ask a lot of questions about who they are and why they are the way they are so tell me what was your most fascinating place on this adventure well it's it's uh there's a wide range because um you look at a place like India where we spent two and a half months. Um, we were lucky enough to do it. I, I had a strong Indian friend base before we left. So I had a chance to reach out and say, hey guys, I'm gonna be in your country for, for two and a half months. Are there any places or, or friends or people I should see? And they began inviting us to, to uh, stay with their friends and family. Uh, we attended three weddings. We we're actually kind of in three weddings. Um, so we had a chance to really dive deep into that culture um, because we were, were living in the homes, a lot of quiet time, just um, talking and, and hanging out with people. So India it was uh, an amazing adventure. And anybody that's ever been to India, in, in, to India understands that it's different. It's so much different than America. Um, so it's, uh, it really opens up every, all your senses um, to, to be driving down the road. I was on the back of a motorcycle on one, one situation with my buddy. And um, he just says, hey, Matt, do you, you want to get fish for dinner? I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. So he just pulls off and there's a guy um, clubbing fresh fish that they just caught from a lake, skinning them and cutting them up, put them in a, in a bag for you to take home. And that's, that was dinner for the night. So things like that, where it's sensory overload on a regular basis, and you're really just getting to, to have a chance to, to just see things differently and, and um, um, just understand their culture a, a bit differently. So things like that. Uh, we also fell in love with Vietnam. Um, the, 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 uh, how nice everybody is there. The fact that their infrastructure is very strong. Um, you can have some of the luxuries of the United States, but understand that you're in a different culture. 
and uh, how inviting and kind all those people are was amazing. So we really fell in love with Vietnam. So that was uh, that was a star in our trip. Six weeks in Japan really showed me what uh, humility and kindness and thoughtfulness is like. The Japanese people are amazing people and just how thoughtful they are uh, in, in every aspect of their life and how they treat people was eye-opening. And that's the coolest thing about the travel is you, you fall in love with these countries, but then when you come home, you also understand the United States and what makes us special. And so that's why I'm such, such a big advocate of travel is it's not the idea that you're going somewhere. It's not just the fact you're going somewhere and knowing and understanding more about the world, but you're also appreciating the aspects of your own country as well that might not be in other parts of the world. So that's, that's why I'm just, uh, I really feel like people, um, and, I, and I know this next generation is going to do things similar to us. I know that they're going to pause their careers and go take on these adventures. And that's why, that's why I wanted to document a lot of it and put it down because I know that there's people behind us that understand that doing these experiences is so much more important than having a fancy car or having a better couch. You know what I mean? There are all these things that uh, this consumerism built into us that we just want to push that, that buy button so fast instead of saving a little bit to take that adventure and do something uh, crazy uh, as, as, as it, this may seem. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't take the car with you. You can't take the house with you. You can't take any of those items with you, but you can take your memories with you and your experience. Absolutely. And uh, you know, it, we, we've gotten as a culture away from traveling because we've decided to create a lifestyle that is 40 to 80 hours a week of working and both partners working typically. Um, so there's no time in that scenario for these journeys and trips. And I think uh, the U S is on average two weeks, a year of vacation. Yeah. While the rest of the world is more like a month to two months, a year of vacation time. And yeah. so how is it that we get Americans to start traveling again? And uh, I know it's weird to say it in this particular time period where everything is shut down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, how do we get people exploring other people's cultures in a way that moves our culture forward as well? So... You know, um, I remember hearing a story about somebody who went to another culture. So he went to, uh, to France and was expecting the French to speak English and was really upset that, that they weren't speaking English to him and that they didn't like him because he was expecting them to speak English to them. And I, I found it interesting to, you know, I think that that's probably happens quite a lot that we want them, them, the others, the people and the other places that <clears throat> should only exist for our benefit to, um, <laughs> to, uh, to conform to the way that we are rather than looking at and appreciating and understanding that that culture and finding the beauty in, in other people's cultures. Is that something that oh, we, we saw brother. Yeah. It's uh, one of the most annoying things you can see on travel 
And it's, it's for those people that think that way, it's like, why even, why go there? If you want the same thing you're experiencing at home, why even go introduce yourself to another culture? If you're going to, if you're going to um, require people to act like they do in Des Moines, Iowa, or wherever you're from, um, you, you want to become and understand that you go to a Greek dinner. Yeah. They're not going to clear the plates off for three hours. And you're going to sit there with dirty plates on your table uh, while you have a long conversation over coffee. You know what I mean? And that's the coolest thing about it is you get to see like, wow, they're, they're in no rush to kick us out here. Where in America, they're trying to flip the table to have somebody else sit in. They're okay with only having a certain amount of people in this, in this um, restaurant at night. And they're not trying to get people in and out because they want to enjoy the dinner and have a long conversation. And it's like, so, so it's those things that you get to understand them and know them and, and know like, why isn't the waiter coming back around? It's because the waiter's chilling. Just let them, let them relax. They're not like it is in America where everything's go, go, go. And it's when you hear people complaining on the road when they're traveling, um, it, it does get annoying. And it's like, look, man, you're in another country. Enjoy what this country is and what's different than, than America about it. And if you give it time, you're going to fall in love with it. And uh, we would see that quite often. Um, and um, and it, what you talked about earlier about like kind of the conforming and, 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 and uh, fitting in to the culture. Uh, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I'm six foot six. So I stand out wherever we go. And I look like an American dude. So they know they know that I'm a foreigner right off the bat, um, which is great. And, and those conversations where they if they don't speak English, um, my first attempt always to break that barrier is to apologize for not speaking their language because I'm in their country. So if I don't speak their language, my, I'm, I'm sorry, I only speak English. Look at me, I'm an ignorant fool. Can you help me work through this? Um, and then a lot of times, even if you try one or two words in their language, they might laugh at you a little bit, but then they'll at least work with you. But if you're somebody that says, hey, do you speak English? Right off the bat, it's it's already, you're, you're creating this dynamic of, um, because then if they don't speak English, does that make them dumb? You see what I'm saying? And when you're in their country, they might speak Vietnamese first. So, so why, why would you ask them to speak English first? So it's, uh, it's all how you approach the approach it. And, and really just to your point, the idea of like, you're in these places, take it in, appreciate the culture, understand you're somewhere different. And that's why you booked the trip in the first place. Yeah. So what do you think of tourist zones versus the, the places that the locals, you know, go, I mean, it, it, everywhere I go, anytime I've ever been anywhere, my first thing is I do not want to be where the tourists go. I want to be where the locals go. And so I seek out specifically somebody who can take me to a local joint or a local place so that I can experience that local culture. But a lot of, uh, of, Americans, you know, I, I call it the McDonald's tour because we go from uh, a McDonald's in France to a McDonald's in Europe to a McDonald's in Israel, you know, like, yeah. like how many uh, different ways can we experience the McDonald's, right? And, yeah. uh, and we do that with more than just, uh, you know, we'll go to the Hilton. Well, there's a lot of local kind of hotels that are completely different than say a Hilton in it. I'm not, you know, it could be any of the major chains, but we tend to go to the places that we know in our mm -hmm. minds. How do you think we can, we can, you know, inspire people 
to experience more of the local kinds of experiences rather than the tourist experiences that we've kind of set up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the, the first thing is the fear. Um, Cause that was the biggest thing people would ask us as we, we were making this trip. Are, are you safe? Is everything okay? And it's like, man, look in the mirror a little bit. How safe is your city? How safe is Chicago? You know what I mean? How, how safe is St. Louis? How safe is New York? So um, that safety barrier is always the thing that um, keeps them on resorts and keeps people in those, in those four walls, wherever they are in, in the, the foreign country. And for me, it's like, you can get, get through that and not listen to what all the media is trying to tell you. Because mostly what, what we hear from the media is when something bad happens, a tsunami hits an island, uh, um, there's some sort of revolt against the government. So we're only hearing like the negative stuff around the world that happens that uh, mainstream media wants to put out there because it'll get the clicks and abuse um, that all negative news gets. And so if you, if you can like climb through all that and, and try to find um, the truth in, in what's going on in these places around the world, you're going to see a lot of beauty and a lot of amazing things happening um, outside of those resorts. And uh, one of the, the coolest things that happened to me recently was one of my buddies that watched our journey uh, from afar online. Um, he listened to the advice that I would give about getting out of the resorts and spending time in, in, with the locals. And he said uh, they recently went to Jamaica and he said, Matt, we had an awesome trip down there. Um, we spent we spent almost two weeks down there. He said, but our favorite day by far is when we left the resort, went to a local town and hung out with the locals, ate at the local restaurants. He said, we came back with a bunch of phone numbers and uh, they're, they're still texting us. And it was the by far the best day. He said, thank you so much for that advice because it's going to change the, the way that we travel now going forward. And it's things like that that are like, yeah, if you get, you can you can see a beach coastline anywhere around the world. And you wouldn't know if you were in Thailand, if you were in the Philippines, if you were in Peru, if you just saw the waves coming in at a, at a gorgeous uh, Hilton resort, like you're describing, you wouldn't know where you were, but it's when you get out of that place and you go walk around the town and you meet the locals and you, you shop at their markets, you see the things that they're, they're eating on a regular basis, how they barter uh, the idea that America doesn't barter for everything, anything and these places everywhere, everywhere else barters. So just that conversation of bartering, um, if they say it's a dollar, say it's, I'd, I'd give you 80 cents and just go through that process. Uh, you're going to learn so much about these places and, and, and really just fall in love with them even more than just sitting in a hotel or, or just drinking. But the, here's the, the thing is, is like you're describing in America, we have these two weeks off, right? So a lot of people are like, dude, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to go and sit on a beach and I have to think about anything and, um, and then go back to the life that I have where it's chaotic. And I get that. Um, but if you're, if you're looking to kind of expand your brain and spend your mind and, and see uh, a look at the world in a different way, that's what you and I are describing here. That's, that's what that, that's the benefit you'll get out of this. But if you're somebody that's not trying to do those things, you're just trying to get um, two weeks away. First, they're probably not listening to your podcast, but those, those people, um, they're in that, they're in that engine that never, that never stops. And they wake up in their 70 and their life's over and they're, they're saying, what ifs these are for the people that, um, you want to open your mind and do something different and look at the world a different way. That's what you do. You go hang out with the locals and understand their culture a little bit better. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, part of me thinks that racism is not just ignorant of people, but it's a lack of understanding of, uh, of other 
any kind of other, right? Whether that's an other culture, another language, another colored, you know, color of a person. And it's based solely on fear versus knowledge. Because if you get to know somebody or know about their culture, it's really difficult, I've found, to dislike those people. Um, now, you've been in place where, you know, like Turkey, where um, there is in that Middle Eastern zone, a lot of conflict. And um, the conflict that we hear about was not my experience when I was in Israel, for, for instance, or I went to Jordan and Lebanon. Um, I didn't experience the same kind of difference that we see on the news. I don't know if you went there. I know you went to Turkey, but any, any chance that the differences between the people are not as great as the governments and the agendas and the media want you to think? Absolutely. I think, I think racism is just lack of exposure. Um, and we, we saw and had conversations about racism all around the world. And it was when we were in, in Chile, they hated the Peruvians and Argentinians. Then we were in Peru, they hated the Colombians and it's uh, in the Chileans. And then, and then you're in um, South Africa as a white guy at the grocery store, um, the, 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 black app, the black checkout lady is, is looking at us a different way until we speak and then they understand we're American. They're like, whoa, you're not the same white guy that's usually here. So they're nicer. Um, we experienced it everywhere. And it's one of those things where if you don't have exposure to a lot of the people in your, the frame of reference is one or two people, you're going to think about those one or two people. And that's why it was so important for me, wherever we went was to be the, the smiling, nicest guy in the room. Um, because I wanted, I, I never knew if I was going to be the last white American that they met because a lot of places that we went to were off the beaten track. And they weren't typical touristy spots. So if I would meet somebody thinking like, I might be the only American they ever, ever met. And I might be, I might be the last American they ever meet. And so if, if they meet me and they're like, that dude is nice. I know how this works. They're going to like, all Americans are nice. Matt was awesome. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's literally how we think. So if you don't have, if you don't have a lot of exposure, because I've met people, um, business, business owners that, uh, from a different generation that say, uh, all Indians are so smart because the seven Indians that worked for him in, in uh, environmental engineering were wicked smart people. But I, I, I was in India for, for a long period of time. I know all Indians aren't smart. So it's, it's like whatever, if you only expose yourself to a certain group of people and that is, and that's your exposure and, and you see all of them like that, then that's, that's when racism kicks in. But if you get exposure and you have enough conversations to understand like, whoa, some people are good, some people are bad, that's across the board. Like all, all the races and all the different people around the world, we're gonna have good people, we're gonna have bad people. And the more exposure you get to, to all of those different parts of it, you're gonna understand that. And most of them are really, really good people. There's just a segment of the population that sucks and you try to avoid those people and, and you hang out with the positive ones. Uh, that are trying to do right by you, but we, we saw it everywhere on the globe where um, it's, it's like America is this only is the only racist place in the world. It's like, dude, 
you, you, you have no idea how racist the world is, right. the entire world. And it doesn't make it right. It's just ignorance. It's just absolute ignorance, but it's everywhere as a, as a human popula, as a human species, we're so ignorant to only to the only the exposure that we get in our little boxes that we live in, that we think that these are the things. And if, if the media is telling us nothing but negative stuff and they're putting us in this volatile state all the time, of course, we're going to we're going to see people a different way. And if they're telling you constantly that you're racist, then you're like, maybe I am racist. And then you you see what I'm saying? So it's it's a it's a weird dynamic. And the only way you can overcome it is exposure by by going to places you're not comfortable with, getting uncomfortable, meeting people you don't normally meet, and then get your own truth to understand that, whoa, we're all trying, we're all trying to, to make a little bit of money, have love in our life, um, achieve some goals, you know what I mean? And hang out with our families. It, it's it's the the what we're all trying to do is not that different from each other, no matter where you go around the world. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I was in Greece during the 2004 Olympics and Paralympics. Uh, and, you know, we were working, working the, the athletes out. And everywhere you go, it's really controlled. After the Olympics were over, after the Paralympics, sorry, were over, I, was, I stayed about a, an extra week or two because I... I, I'm the kind of person when I'm working a, a, a thing, I'm like 16 hours on those athletes. There, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't an enjoy. I didn't actually see a single game <laughs> when I was there. Wow. I was literally 16 hours. And then finally, when the days that I had off, I was on an island somewhere. But uh, <laughs> I went for a walk one day uh, in Athens. So you've been to Greece, right? It's one of yes. the you've been so Athens you know Athens uh, I was staying in a, a Monia Square okay and so I walked to Monasteraki and had some breakfast so that's about a three mile walk okay okay and then right up there in in Monasteraki is is the uh, the National Museum which used to okay. be I guess their parliament and then they have that museum row. And so I started walking through all the museums. And in this one day, I just, I, I kept walking. For some reason, I just kept walking. And I start walking up this hill. And it's maybe five hours have gone by and I'm still just walking. And I see, all of a sudden I see the, this graffiti about uh, the the workers um you know blood and, and things like that and then i start asking some questions because I, I i wasn't necessarily in the heart of athens anymore it turns out that i walked to iliopoli which or iliopoli i don't know how to pronounce pronounce it exactly but i walked to a whole other city it was 20 something miles away that i walked that day oh my god and, yeah and all I kept hearing is the Albanians, the Albanians, they're coming in, they're taking our jobs, the Albanians. Yep. And it just was like, it's like everybody has their people <laughs> yeah. come and take their jobs for less money than they're willing to do it for. And then they complain and complain about yes. the people who took their jobs that they're not willing to do. And I, I just found it so fascinating. I also 
because it was 2004, we were there during the elections and the mm -hmm. campaigns. So watching the Bush Gore, you know, shenanigans and watching that on CNN Greece versus CNN US, right? Yeah. Very different news. So is, you know, you just keep getting awakened to the idea that what you think you know is very controlled, very programmed, Absolutely. very different than reality. And, you know, just like when I was in Israel and I watch the Palestinians and the Israelis and the Jordanians and the Lebanese and, the, you know, all pretty much living in a city that's no bigger than Los Angeles, or a, a country that's no bigger than the county of Los Angeles. And for the most part, completely harmoniously. Mm -hmm. And you would never guess that by watching any of the news. So I just find it interesting when I've ever gone to other places and you spent so much time and went to so many places that you get kind of an idea of different cultures and based on different geographies, I would imagine, and so on. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you to have you run down the list, but if you were yeah. to run down, you, you, you did a couple, Japan, you know, and, and so on in Vietnam. If you were to run down a list of places and the expectation that you had, and then the difference in the people based on the expectation, that would be a really interesting thing for, I think, people to grasp. This is what I thought yeah. happened when I, when I went to Vietnam, but this is my experience it, with the local, yeah. kind, that kind of thing. So do that. And also, I just want to know, because you're six foot six, how, how much do you think that there's an intimidation factor? of you in some of those cultures, like in Japan and China, where you're probably towering over everybody by quite a lot, you know, yeah. do you feel like there's an intimidation factor? Yeah, so I had to overcome that, um, but it was, it was cool because um, I'm naturally outgoing and uh, I attempt to be nice. Now, now, if you see my resting face, it doesn't, I probably am a little bit intimidating. So I understand that. So I, I would try to overcome that by smiling a lot more often, making a lot of eye contact and letting people understand that um, I'm not uh, somebody to fear, but somebody to welcome. So I would, I would attempt to do that because it, you're, you're right. When I would walk into a room, uh, Cambodians, Vietnamese, especially Southeast Asia in, and in um, South America, I, I would tower over a lot of people. And so instantly there's, there's a little bit of, um, anxiety, but then I would try to overcome that just to make sure that they, uh, they understood that I was there for all the right reasons and to make it welcoming. So it actually, it helped me because it would, it would help me break through walls rather quickly. And then I, would, I could get into that comfort zone where then you're getting invited to places and um, getting asked to go to lunch and stuff like that. So it got, it got, it was actually a, a better for us. And then when it comes to those different cultures that really, really stood out, Japan was number one. I had no expectations going into Japan. And just to see how amazing uh, those people were, um, and what's what's wild about Japan, the idea that I that I did stick out, and I experienced parts of Southeast Asia where um, I would have a lot of these stares 
especially like if you're taking public transportation, uh, you could tell that there's a lot of eyes on you. In Japan, they would not. They would not look at me um, because of just how they how their society works. Is they knew if they were staring at me that that would be something uh, like they were judging me. So they wouldn't do it. So for me, it was like hard to engage with the Japanese because they're just they're just so kind and thoughtful that they wouldn't want to, to me feel like I was out of place um, and they wanted me to feel welcome. So um, the Japanese really stood out. Do you, um, other, go ahead. Sorry, do you think that the Japanese have kind of taken on political correctness to a whole different kind of experience? Because I, I know that they're very, very careful to be considerate of your feelings, of your experience, of your, um, of your experience, really, you know, yeah. very careful to make sure that you feel comfortable as an insider or an outsider, just in general in yeah. the population. Do you think that that's political correctness or just being socially, you know, having etiquette? I think I, so this is, this is an uneducated, uneducated point of view, but um, the purity of the people where if you're Japanese, you're Japanese. I mean, it's an island where uh, the Chinese attempted to invade, but uh, they've, they're pretty pure uh, on who they are. And I think that that is part of their awareness of a, of a culture that they've built upon. And uh, spiritually, um, the uh, Buddhism and the other uh, forms of religion that they, that they have there and, and, and lifestyles they have are very uh, zen-like and, and uh, peaceful. And that's what, that's what really stuck out with uh, Asia and Southeast Asia is the different religions there that are very harmonious and harmonious and just like calm and peaceful. To see people walk the walk rather than just talk the talk. And I know this is, this is um, I hate to say that. I'm, so full military family, I love America. I'm diehard USA. I love our country. But there's certain things that you see elsewhere that you're like, man, I wish we could do that. And that's one of them is it's the idea that uh, when you're in Asia and the, the, the way that they practice every day and they walk the walk of um, peacefulness and uh, not judging people and being, being um, chilled out and calm, uh, some of the stuff that within Buddhism that really stand out, you would, we would hope that we could do the same here instead of just talking about these subjects and being holier than thou, but not living them. And it's more just, it's, it's all conversational, but when you see people's action, you're like, whoa, you're not doing, it's kind of like the whole COVID thing with the, the, the hilarity that with the governors around the, around the country, like they're saying one thing, but they're doing another. That's kind of how we are as a culture a lot of times. And when you're, when you're in some of these other places and it's really peaceful. And that was the thing that um, talking to my father on the trip, when we were in Tokyo, I was telling him that uh, you, you don't know what it's like to be in a peaceful city, uh, like a non-violent city, until you're there, your body your body doesn't understand it. Like uh, when we were in Singapore and in Tokyo, like Tokyo, thirty million people. Nikki and I walked home one night at like one thirty in the morning in Tokyo, and it's one of those things. Like until you know, like you're like I have no fear. I can walk to these places and not have a fear. I'm have to look over my shoulder and think that somebody's going to get me or try to snatch something from us. Your body doesn't understand what that feels like until you're there. 
And you're like, wow, this is so like peaceful and calm. And I was trying to tell him like, you couldn't do that in any major city in America. You can't, you can't walk home at 1.30 in any major city in America and feel like this is, I feel safe right now. Um, and until you're there, it's, it's so different. And that's, that was just one of the, some of the stuff that stuck out to us uh, on this journey is like uh, people that walk the walk. It's, it's, it's nice. It's uh, it's calming. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I was in Israel and like I said, and, uh, and I saw, you know, a nine-year-old girl walking home at, I don't know, it was maybe 10 o'clock at night. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when I was, when I was younger, we would go out and ride our bikes all yes. day long. We would go to parks. You know, I, I, I could have been five, six, seven, and I could have been gone all day as long as I showed up at kind of some prescribed times, mm-hmm. the freedom to move freely, so to speak, in my community. And now I have, you know, I have a seven-year-old and I wouldn't want him to be out riding or going to parks and places by himself and it's such a shame that we as a society have allowed that to be the case we you know it's like taking it back to ourselves we allow everything that happens to happen because if we didn't allow it to happen it wouldn't happen right so if we didn't allow our communities to be uh so unsafe they wouldn't be because we would control it. But, uh, you know, it's funny, I have this, this talk that I'm going to be doing uh, that's really about bullies. My, my saying is silence is a bully's best friend. So I'm going to kind of go there on the cultures with you and, and see yeah. where did you find that the bullies were more prevalent, less prevalent in around the world? Um, and how people react to those bullies and to the, the systems. Because as you know, this show is a lot about create, you know, creating a new tomorrow today. It's about how we can figure out that we made this shit up and we can make it up better, that everything in the world that we see is a construct of our imagination and we can imagine it different. So yeah. when you're traveling around the world, if you, if you were to take pieces from each culture, right, where would you, which piece would you take from which and where? And in order to make that jigsaw puzzle of, of the kind of world that you'd want to have, that you'd want to live in? That's an amazing question. Um, first, I think like in a, we would, we would in a different setting, maybe uh, you and I would debate over the topic of, of letting your kid play at a, at a playground because um, the book Factfulness um, shows that it's safer now than um, than it's ever been, and uh, true statistics would show that this COVID crisis has changed that a little bit because you're start, you're seeing an uptick in, in violent crimes, uh, especially around our country. Because it, I think there's just there's just unrest. People uh, want to get out of their homes, and, and when that builds, then they do get out. Crazy stuff happens. So you're starting to see a little bit of that. But um, prior to that, we were getting safer and safer around the country. And the idea, this is the, I've got uh, two eight-year-old, uh, seven-year-old na- nephews, and I'm, I'm, I kind of preach this to, to their parents on the reg, is the idea that uh, there's so many cell phones, there's so many video cameras out there, so everything you do is on camera now. So I think these these kids are, are much safer, uh, and there's a fear component out there, but it's just the, the mainstream media, go ahead. 
I, I have one, one thought and I yeah. want you to address this one thought about that. Do you think that it's safer because more kids are inside on their computers, laptops, iPhone, right, et cetera. Not that it's safer, just that it's per capita maybe safer because there's less kids actually in the parks and in those places. Yeah. I, I walk around and <clears throat> I don't see kids on the block playing baseball in the street, right? I don't, yeah. I don't see it. Well, we're in this, we're in this crazy environment where if, if you're, if your six-year-old kids walking by him, him or herself um, to the grocery store, like they do all around the world, a parent might say, Who, "Who's? Where's your parent? Who are you here with?" And if they're like, "No, I'm just going to the grocery store," some some crazy helicopter parent might say, "Well, no, that is illegal. We've got to call the authorities." So I think there's like this fear component in, in parents to say, "We can't let our kids do the things that we did." Because I'm with you, man. Um, I was just having this conversation with my mom where. Me and my brother would just disappear on our bikes for the entire day. Um, the, the idea that I had a paper out very young, uh, nine, 10 years old, like these things that like we had like jobs and have you seen the movie Donut King? Yep. It's an awesome movie. Yeah. About the Cambodians that came over and, and started the, the chain of donut, cha- the ch- donut chains on the, on the West Coast. And you look at those kids, they were in the donut shop working at age five, six, seven years old. And it's, um, it's this mentality. We saw it all around the world where we'd see, uh, it was a seven-year-old kid in Waikil, Ecuador, Ecuador, selling roses out of his backpack. There was, there was kids in India um, selling goods at age six and seven um, uh, with, with no parents around them uh, on the streets. It, it was everywhere. And then you come to America and kids can't go to the, their mailbox down the street without some sort of guidance. It's insanity. And it's, I think we're doing our, our kids an injustice um, by taking away these freedoms early in life and just not just just building that resourcefulness, teaching them in a, in a certain way and, and teaching them how to get out of scenarios because they're out there. There's there's evil people out there that want to harm children. But I think that there's ways that we can do it, especially as a community. If you're talking to people, say, hey, I'm letting my kid do this. Be aware if you see him or her, if anybody's around them, I'll be aware. But that's that's a I'm sorry for getting on that tangent. I just okay. um and, and honestly, as a as somebody without kids, I understand um, when I look at things as an uncle and as if I was to look at it as a father, it'd probably be so much different um, than, than if I had my own children. So uh, that's why I always, I, I know the line that I can't cross, but I, I, when we saw the things we did with children around the world, you can, it's a stark contrast of how we handle kids in America uh, and the freedoms that, that um, and really the hustle. Cause that's what stuck out in that movie. The donut King is the hustle that you build in those young kids. Um, the desire to work really hard to achieve something. And you, you see, you saw that with all the different um, donut shop owners in that movie that as they got older in life, they achieve amazing things. Um, and I think that we build that into our kids, that, that, that hustle mentality um, that it helps them. Do you think that uh, the Midwest is still doing that with, you know, so to speak, the farmers and their kids still doing the work on the farm versus, you know, nowadays we have the the big agro, which requires hazmat suits versus, you know, straw and and overalls. But, uh, you know, 
are there places here in America where that is still happening? And, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I would want to see a study and say, okay, yeah. in places where that's happening in the US, here's the success rate and here's the happiness, you know, factor. And here's- But all this has happened so fast though. You know what I mean? Right. It's because all, all this is the, the, the technology in the last 20 years is what's really, it's not only, it's, I think it's both uh, the mainstream media and the social media's focus of these topics that, that are fear-mongering people to, to change how they, how they handle their children. Um, you know, it's also the idea that kids love to play games and they, they, they would, it's, it's much, uh, it's, it seems to be easier to parent when you give your kid a device or a game to, to have them go play a game for three hours, then go take them to the park for three hours. So it seems like, um, it's, it's both a great babysitter, babysitter and extremely entertaining. And there's value in gaming. I think that, I think that we discount the value in gaming quite often, especially with what's happening in the future is that we, a lot of people tend to just look at gaming as, um, as dumb time wasted, where I'm one of those that if they're playing the right games, there's a lot of problem solving involved as well. So it, so it can be beneficial, but, um, but all of this has happened so fast. So the study, we probably won't know like how that looks in 10, 10, 10 years removed, but uh, the Midwest values are still strong. I mean, you still, that's why they call them Midwest values because it's a hardworking, um, it's definitely different. Um, I had the chance to go out and, and work on the, on the West coast, it's totally different. I mean, our, our coasts are in different regions of the country are, are way different from each other. And those Midwest values still hold true. And you do see, you do see kids here that, that play and they go to the park and, and hang out together. And uh, it's, it is different than in kind of like an urban setting where there's a lot of, uh, we go to Chicago and visit family in downtown Chicago and you don't see a, you rarely see kids by themselves. Um, it's always like a kid with a parent nearby right. um, instead of kids just hustling on their own. Right. But, but to, to, to your former point, like the, uh, the idea of, of culture, taking a little piece of everything. If you can take the beauty of New Zealand, just the, the basic beauty of the country, New Zealand, um, uh, the kindness of the Japanese, probably the, the bartering skills and just the, uh, the gritty hustle of India. Um, I'm trying to think uh, the fun, the absolute fun of the Portuguese. Uh, we, we had so much fun in, in Lisbon, Portugal um, and just how they celebrate and they, they just take on life and they just love life so much. Take that from the Portuguese. Um, the emotions of the, the Italians. We spent, we spent time in Sicily and uh, just, just uh, run around uh, in Northern Italy for two and a half weeks in a car. Uh, those people are just amazing and they're gorgeous. The Sicilians, I, I used to have a list of uh, in my head of the most beautiful people around the world. Sicilians are just gorgeous humans. They're just uh, the beautiful people. Um, really, that, that's interesting because uh, yeah. the Sopranos would have you feel differently. Who's, who's that? Who's that? The, the Sopranos would have you feel differently. <laughs> yes, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, when we're on the island, you just, you'd be in a cafe and uh, a, a woman would walk in and you're just like, oh my God, that is just, uh, they're just gorgeous, gorgeous people. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's so much about uh, the, the Chileans are beyond fun. Just so much fun in Chile and how, how much, uh, how much fun we had there. But yeah, just take little bits, pieces of all that and create a, create an island and uh, disappear forever for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you recommend if somebody is thinking, Hey, you know, I'm, 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 you know, my business is online. 
get to travel a little bit. I could be nomadic with, with my business. You know, what would you suggest for places to go and, and ways for them to engage with the culture there? Yeah, so if, if we're talking post-COVID and it's the, the world's a little bit more normal. Um, that we're normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would, if, if you've never traveled, um, and this is like your first opportunity to get out of the U.S., um, I would suggest somewhere like a Portugal or a Spain um, where it is, it's absolutely different, uh, especially like a place like Lisbon. It's gorgeous. It's hilly. It looks like uh, San Francisco, but uh um, small cobblestone streets. It's everything you would dream of a, of a, like a romantic uh, European city. And then you, you'll be there and you'll know that you're in a different land, but it's not a stretch. It's not crazy different as if you were going to take the leap and go to Thailand where um, it's uh, the, the form of transportation is different. It's um, the language barriers might be more extreme um, you, you have less luxuries than you do at home. Although the entire world is catching up really fast. Uh, now that we're going to 2021, the, the infrastructure around the world is so much better. Uh, the, the access to Wi-Fi is great. They understand uh, the, the luxuries of nice cafes. The entire world is catching up really fast. Um, so a competitive angle, uh, America needs to watch its back a little bit because there's a lot of opportunity out there to go to these other places and live a very similar life than you do in the States at a much cheaper cost. And that's what's appealing about a lot of these places. If you can, if you can have a digital nomad lifestyle where you're making the US dollar, but you're spending it in places where the, you can live like a king in Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, some of these amazing places, uh, Albania, you mentioned Albania. Albania is awesome. Uh, spend time in Albania and uh, the dollar goes real far there. Uh, so if you, if you can make that money and, and go there, um, your eyes will be open, like how well you can live there. But you, you don't want to, if you don't, if you're not one of those people that want to jump all in and make that trip to, to Southeast Asia where it's super cheap or, or uh, Latin America, then a place like Portugal, Southern Spain, um, Greece, Croatia, Croatia is a little bit more expensive, but it's, it's gorgeous and, and nice. Um, yeah, those, that, that's what, that would be my initial step. And then once you get comfortable there, you meet a lot of other travelers. They're talking about Colombia. They're talking about, uh, um, Bali, Bali is a huge digital nomad hub. You start to hear about these places and you're ready to take that leap into something a little bit different, not crazy extreme, but it's just, it's just different um, than, than what we're used to in America. Then you go there, then you're, then it's done. You'll never come back because those places, if you can make good money in those places, it's just, it's amazing. It's so much fun. And you, you'll meet other travelers. And that's the coolest part about it. you meet other travelers, but you get to the culture, you start to understand the culture but you're meet, meeting people that have um, that have done more than you and have traveled more than, than you have. And they can tell you about the awesome places around the world. Then you, then your list just gets longer and longer of the places you want to go to. And, uh, and then at that point, you're, uh, you're, you're wrapped into the world and it's awesome. How would you recommend people approach the local communities when they go there um, behavior wise and, and so on? So, so I'm someone that if, if you have, if you know you're staying somewhere for two weeks or more, um, it's great to see a lot of places, but I think you'll get more of it if you find a place you like, whether it's a cafe, a lunch spot, or a dinner spot, and 
you you visit once and you're like, this is, I like this place. So, so my wife, Nikki, she's a, she's a vegan. So we'd have to kind of be strategic on some of the places we'd go to. Um, I would eat anything, but we would, for her, we'd find like uh, some great spots. And once you find that place that clicks for, for uh, whatever category you're trying to fill, go multiple times because the first time they're going to see you as like a customer or a traveler. The second time they're going to, they're going to recognize you're there and they're like, okay, he must be staying for a little bit. And after like the third time, they're, they're going to think that like you're, you're more of like a local. So then you can start to ask other questions of, Hey, where else should I go? What other, what other, what other places in town should I visit? And they're going to treat you differently than just your first time in trying to get advice. They know that you spent money there three or four times. They're getting comfortable with you. Cause a lot of these places around the world in these smaller cafe restaurants, it's the same owner there every day. It's not like they have a staff, like in America, it's the same guy. It might be his house upstairs in the, in the shops down in, in his, in, in his basement or whatever, in his, in his front of his house. And he's just working out of there. So um, they'll get comfortable with you after three visits. And then you can start to ask those questions. And then they, you never know where it could take you. They might say, well, we're having a, this get together on Saturday. We would love for you guys to come over and hang out. And then once you start getting in with the, the locals and doing what they do with their music or um, their their food or their drinks or however they partake in, in what they're doing, oh, then it gets really fun. So that's what I, I would definitely um, hit that spot. Find that local spot that you get a rhythm with and always be nice and, and cordial and tip like an American. And uh, they'll, they'll like that because a lot of these places, they don't tip. So when you tip like an American, then they, they like you a little bit more as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I had that experience in Greece uh, with the restaurant and uh, I would go there every kind of night after my shift, so to speak, mm-hmm. to eat. And eventually, you know, we would sit and talk for hours as yeah. we do in Greece. And it turned out he had lived in Boston for a little bit and had a restaurant in there in Boston, moved back to Greece. But he would make these like these special dishes that were really for him. And because I was there talking to him all the time, I literally had a constant supply of food that was awesome. his experimental recipes, you know, yeah. this lemon lamb, lemon sauced lamb. I mean, just amazing. Yeah. He would be like, he'd come out with a plate and say, okay, we're testing this food. <laughs> Let's try this out. And we would just sit and talk for, for hours. That's and the best. About the culture. It was pretty cool. So yeah, that's the best. That is definitely a thing to do. Um, you know, what, what, what's your biggest message? The, 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 the thing that you want people to know the most about culture and diversity and this, you know, as you say, cultural immersion travel, what do you want um, Americans to know the most? And then what would you suggest to people who might be coming from outside of the U S into the U S that would help, Americans feel more comfortable about the people that are coming to visit us because we obviously have an issue with immigration, even though it's been the cornerstone of our country. But I'm yeah. sure that there's some things that people feel foreigners or foreign travelers are doing wrong or would they would like to see different when when they come to visit us. So let's let's take it on both 
levels because let's get you know our foreign relations back in in the right <laughs> direction by yeah. just understanding each other's culture so let's yeah. look at both sides yeah i think a lot of it comes to um just checking your ego at the door and taking just taking a step back away from political correctness and um and when you're stepping into these cultures don't see it through the lens of of how media portrays people and just take it on in the most authentic way that you can um, and, and judge for yourself what you experience and not with a, a, the short lens that you might have going into it um, and, and form those new relationships as you can in those, in those foreign lands. And as you, as you're, as you're uh, going with a very positive, a very fresh ideal of uh, these people are, I'm going to say that they're really good people until they show me different. And then you're going to have a better experience. It's just like anything in life. If, if you approach it the right way, positive will come out of it. And then when you're, when you're in that, don't, don't try to push your Americanisms on them. Just, just attempt to be in the moment and understand the, why they live the way they live. Um, because what you got to understand in America is no matter it's, it, we are money first. We are a money first country. Um, all the headlines, all the information, um, it's all about economic value to the individual, the corporations, the government. That's what we focus on. These other countries around the world are not like that. A lot of places are family first, they're community first, they're, uh, they might be religion first. So they're not, they don't, they don't see it the same way we do when we see a, um, a restaurant, such an easy example, you see a restaurant, you're like, man, they can make so much more money here if they did it this way. Instead, it's like, no, they have the most fun here because they do it this way. And it's, that's why it's the families are, the, the restaurants are in a family's name for generations, because at the end of the day, they make enough to, to have a stable income for the family to have this great thing in, for their community. So just check your ego at the door. And when you're, walk, when you're going to these places, uh, do the best you can to not bring all the baggage with you because that's where you're going to get the most out of it. And you're going to see it a different way. And then those, those visitors traveling to America, um, I would say the same thing. That, don't believe everything you see on your news uh, um, in, in your foreign lands because when, you talk to, when we talk to other people and you ask them, what, what do you think about America? A lot of the, I, I had at one conversation I had, do you guys have school shootings all the time? Like, that's what they see. That's what they think about. And we have school shootings all the time. And it's like, so, so they, what they're getting fed from their news, um, because let's be real, governments around the world, some of which hate the freedoms we have in America. So the, the best way that you could um, target those freedoms is to show this is what freedom gets you. This is how, if you have all these freedoms, here's, here's the baggage that comes with freedoms, school shootings. This is, you want, you want guns? This is what happens. You're going to have, you're going to have killings everywhere. We talk to people about, uh, oh my gosh, because a lot of times we wouldn't say we're from Indianapolis. We'd say Chicago because it's easier for them to, um, to understand They're like, oh, Chicago is so violent there. Um, Al Capone, things like that. So that's, so if you, if you're coming to America, check that at the door as well. And, um, and understand that that we are a kind people, and we, we might not be as um, inviting 
as some of the places that you're from. But if you ask the right people, you make eye contact um, and you talk to the right people, Americans are nice people and, and we're, we're going to be kind and we're inviting. And the other part too is, and I do this with, um, I've had friends that like correct me in, in public settings because the idea that I have traveled and I've had a chance to meet a lot of amazing people around the world, um, I'm pretty good at, at, at understanding where you might be from based on what you look like. And so I, I'm not afraid to approach somebody and say, excuse me, I'm just, I'm curious um, what your heritage is or, or what, what part of the world you're from. And um, it's turned into some great conversations because if I, if I see somebody that if I look, they look Vietnamese to me and I, I say, what, where, what part of the world are you from? And uh, they say Vietnam. I say, amazing. I spent three months there. Um, are you, what part of the world and what part of the, the country are you from? And they say, well, actually I was, I came over here when I was six but my parents are from Hanoi, then I can take them down that conversation to have an awesome conversation to get to know each other a little bit, tell my experience, their country and, and uh, how much fun I have. And I've had people, my friends say like, whoa, dude, that sounds like you're, you're being racist. I'm like, no, it's not racist. I'm, I'm, everybody likes to talk about where they're from. Like if you live in the States, you're from Kansas city, you can tell me how good the barbecue is in Kansas city. So, so these folks come from a different land and they're proud of that. Don't be afraid if you approach it the right way. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with somebody about where they're from because you might actually learn something. And if you're in, and if you're in a work setting and somebody's from India or, or uh, Poland or, or from a different part and you get to know a little bit about their their homeland, you might want to take that trip to Warsaw, Poland because you hear how awesome it is. And so that's what. Um, so I, my point is like, if you come here, don't be afraid to to tell us where you're from because you you might meet somebody that's actually traveled there. And then they, they're really inviting. And then use use the, I mean, because Nick and I use the um, technology around the world. We used WorkAway, where we volunteered our services for a free bed to stay in. We used Trusted House Sitters, where we um, watched pets in people's home for a free place to stay. We um, Things like Meetup, where you can get on Meetup and find groups that have your similar likes and interests, and you can join a Meetup and then uh, meet other people that do the same thing. Use it. And those are easy ways to, to, as you're traveling, meet other people. And then they might invite you in. So I would definitely use the technology out there because it, it might help you um, get in to, to uh, like subcultures within the U.S. And then you can get invited. Then you're going to have a more authentic trip as well. Just like just like we had when we use those technologies in other places. Awesome. What do you think uh, if uh, what do you think the benefit to incentivizing for both companies, government, what, you know, whoever it is that's doing the incentivizing, but to incentivize travel to other countries versus right now what we have is kind of like uh, disincentivizing yeah. all kinds of things. And, I, and I'm not talking about during pandemic, I'm talking about generalized because the pandemic to me is something that's, it, it will end, quarantines will end, lockdowns will end at some point and we'll be able to, you know, move freely about the earth. <laughs> so, yeah, you're saying the idea of like take take Bali, Indonesia. There, the, our government would send us there, or their government is inviting us, or <clears throat> government and you know companies. I'm not I'm not prescribing a way of incentivizing it specifically. Yeah that it becomes an incentivized thing versus stay here, 
only know what's in your box and what's in your office building is, you know, we Americans like to do our 40 to 80 hours a week in one building for 40 to 60 years and, and get a gold watch. So we have, you know, we have a history of limiting our perspectives to a very small thing. The other thing, you know, I, I notice about um, pretty much, you know, criminals and violence is that it's block oriented, right? If you're on this block, you're in this particular gang. If you're on that block, you're in a different gang because, and, and you can't go to our block. And so we won't go to your block because you're right. So yeah, yeah. The, we limit our perspective, I feel, by ghettos and, and communities and blocks. I mean, I remember in Los Angeles, I would talk to, to somebody in South Central who had never been to the beach. Yeah. The beach is what, five miles away from South Central. Yes. So it was like, you've never gone outside of this, this really small place. There's been no incentivizing you to leave your little block. And so perspective is only the block. So I'm, I'm asking like, what would be the benefit for a company, say, to send their employees overseas to oh. say, go to these other countries, whether it's government, whether it's companies, doesn't matter. I'm just saying the benefit to people to be incentivized so that they feel like traveling to overseas is a doable thing. A lot of people don't even think it's doable. Yeah. <clears throat> I think... Um when you're looking at the, the dynamics of America where, where money is trumps all is the idea that it, it can bring economic value to your company. So, because if you understand the hustle and in, in the hard work that goes in uh, to some of these other countries uh, and you get a chance to, to live and walk in and walk through their marketplaces and see how they, how they sell and how they interact with their, with their um, community, you will inspire your employees um, so, so for me, just that, the idea that uh, we're cush here, it's, it's easy. America's easy living. We have no idea what um, the hardships that go on around the world. Um, and that's the most eye-opening thing I work with an underprivileged community uh, on Indianapolis's West Side. It's not underprivileged when it looks, when you compare it to some of the, the dire um, settings around the globe. But in America, it's, it, it sucks. It's, it's rough. But so when you go to these other places and you get to live and you get to see how um, most of the world uh, interacts and you, you're going to come back with the freshness and appreciation of what uh, your, your company has given you the opportunity to achieve and what you, the living in America um, gives you as well. And I think just that motivation and inspiration of traveling to some of these places around the world will give you, and it gives you a different set of eyes on how you're looking at your product or service or whatever it is you're offering within your business. You'll look at um, how other cultures might look at what you're you're delivering, or how just individuals are selling or or um, positioning what they're selling. So that's that's for me. I that's the best thing about travel is the idea that you get to see, um, especially if you've got a product, you get a global product, if it's on e-commerce or something like that, and you could, you could find potential customers out there and how they view what you're positioning. You can see their perspective on what you're positioning, if they would ever buy it or not. Um, and cause we, we, like you're saying, we, we look at things in our, in the box that we know, 
So as you expand that and see how other people might um, target it differently, it's going to um, it's, it's going to be, uh, give you more opportunity potentially in the market. But I, I think just from the motivation, I wish that we'll, we'll likely never have a scenario where, um, other countries have around the world where, uh, 18 year olds have to do military for a year. But I wish in America, we would say, okay, when you're 18, you have to go travel to some of these third world countries to get into their culture for just a month. And because if you go, if you go to some of these places around the world that are much different than we are, you're going to have an appreciation for the globe. You're going to, you're going to appreciate these other cultures, but then you're going to come back to America and understand what you have is pretty damn good. And you're going to complain a whole lot less. <laughs> so we give them a, a trip to end the complaining. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's what the things that we the thing the made up things that we complain about in this country are just endless. And other other countries have to look at us like, oh my god, these guys have it all, and all they do is whine. <laughs> and it's and that's the that's the hard part. When you hear all the whining that goes on, it's like, man, if you had any idea how other parts of the world lives, you would be so appreciative. And that's what I think it could really open. It, it'll never happen, but. Um, that's why I'm, I'm really big on that gap year thing. Uh, the, the Europeans do it. The Australians do it. Uh, we met a lot of travelers out there that were either 18 or 22 years old because they were either going right after high school or they're going right after college. And it's a great time to see the world because your mind's still fresh. It's not jaded. And uh, you still have big dreams and hopes. And if you experience other parts of the world, you're going to come back and be like, yeah, this is, uh, it's fresh and new. And it's, uh, it's a different way to, to think about your home country. So that's why I wish we, I wish Americans did more of that. I wish we, we did this. I wish we, we adopted the whole gap year idea. Right. So here, here's a, uh, my last like major question. We look at communities and we'll see a documentary or so and the happiness versus um, happiness in countries versus uh, the money in countries, right? So I think it was the Himalayas that got uh, ranked as the happiest community, the happiest people on earth. And those Himalayans don't really have a lot of money. Um, when you traveled to say India or you know any really of, of these cultures, were the happy people those that had or those that did not? And what could you define as the thing that like the deciding factor? Because, you know, we all get taught that the happy, that the, the more money, the more stuff we have, the happier we'll be. Yeah. But I don't think I've seen that in the world. So I haven't traveled as much as you. So, you know, why don't, why don't you share, like, where did you see the happiness factor play in? It's, uh, for me, the happiest people we met were the most present in the moment that they were. And uh, most of the time they had the least. And it was that a tuk-tuk driver in India that's making a dollar a day, but extremely present and there. And when you're talking to them, you know, He's talking to you and not thinking ahead. And that's a lot of the problem in America is we're always dreaming into the future. 
and we're not we're not here present in the day that we're living in. And that was it was quite a battle when we traveled because we were going to all these amazing, tremendous places. And so there was always a new location on the horizon. But the time that we were in that country, we knew that it was limited. So we wanted to be as present as we could be. And that's what we attempted to do is we try to stay in those in the moment as much as we can. And we we um, that really made us a lot happier. But there's there is no happy. You cannot. I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. You can't uh, money can't buy happiness. And we, we saw it everywhere. People with the, the most humble settings would invite us in for a drink. And um, they would want us to come to their house so bad to see their house. And so we, we take them up on it. We go to their house and it was a, like a small apartment with um, a bedroom and uh, the kid would sleep on the couch and it was, um, and they would go to the top shelf to get the whiskey that they only brought out when they were celebrating and they would pour me a shot of whiskey because uh, I knew I liked to drink whiskey. And um, it was those situations where people had nothing but they were so happy in the moment, always present and so giving that you're like, you really check, check like, okay, what, what is important? And for those people, it's community, it's family, um, it's, it's kindness to strangers and things like that. And, um, but we saw, we, we saw good things from, from rich people as well, but you would see the most like pure joy from those with little that were um, just ultra present in what they were given and just thankful, um, just, the, just the gratitude and thankfulness on a daily basis is what really some of those communities, you can just feel it. You just feel it as you're walking the streets and, uh, and just the smiles, the endless smiles. Um, yeah, but so it's, it's, it, it's, it's easy to say, um, but in the world that we live in where consumerism is just so in our face every day, um, it's difficult to back away. And that was part of our journey or part of our trip. Uh, and the reason that I, I wanted to do it for two years, more than two years is to really get away from the things that we come, came so accustomed to and it's how easy it is to push that Amazon buy button. Um, and it does, it resets you. We, we reset, but, then once you get back into America, man, it's so easy. It's just so easy to buy what you want every day and just get caught up in the cycle of um, have it now, have it, have it here. Um, why wait two weeks if I can have it tomorrow? You know what I mean? Right. And it's, um, it's, it's tough. It's not easy to, to get out of uh, what we're, uh, how we're wired in this country. And the fact that it's, it's pushed upon us and it's easy. So easy. So, you know, here's the thing. Do you think that it's possible to experience the American way of life and be happy like in community and in touch with our people again? Because I think that you know, the 50s was kind of like the last vestige of block party and community and, and people yeah. living that way. And even then it was, you know, it was only really a certain demographic of people that, that did that. But, um, you know, do you think that, that the two 
match at all. Do you think that that the American way of life, so to speak, with the the amazing drive to go further and do more and create more and and so on, do you think that that lends itself to having a society that can be considered happy, content? Yeah, that's tough because the American dream is real. And we would, we would hear the words American dream around the world. Um, it's not something, it's just not the phrase that we use. It's used around the world and um, it's real. You can go from a zero to billion here. There's, there's many stories um, from rags to riches in our country. And the idea that it's built into our DNA to have these stories and uh, to connect that to, to success and money is where you're trying to aspire to is deep into who we are. So I don't know. I think it's, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a dreamer. I'm a, a, a driven person. And a lot of that is connected to, to financial gains to, but it's, I think it's how you, how you view money. If you view it as a trophy or you view it as freedom. Um, I, I view money as freedom and that the idea that if, as I'm making it, I'm creating more freedoms that I don't, ha- I can do my own thing. And it's, it, it's how you look at money, whether you're, um, whether you're filling your, filling your house up with a bunch of things or you're using it to create new experiences in your life. Um, I think that that's, that's the, that's the difference. Um, but I'm not sure, man, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I'm optimistic. I know that America is a great place, but the, the hardest part is, is the controllers of the information um, is, is scarier now than it's ever been. Um, I'm not that old of a person. I'm 44, but I know it's changed so much in, in these last 20 years that the controllers of the information that we receive um, is, that's the scariest part, is that they can dictate how they think they want us to live. And it's showing that they can actually um, move move masses of people to think a certain way. And that's the scariest thing is hopefully this next generation understands that you can cut away and not rely on this information and get away from some of these platforms, but it's going to be really hard um, to, to, to uh, detach. Um, and, and, and so I think it's two things. It's, it's this idea that we want to live out our dreams and have big goals, but, it's hard to think that true happiness might be getting off all these social platforms and disconnecting and becoming more closer to nature. You know what I mean? That's that's all. It's just, it's so much easier said than done because it's so easy to just jump on Twitter real quick and look at what's going on in the world. And it just changes your whole, your whole way of thinking for the next half hour and your mind's going crazy. Because it's it's such a happier life to think like okay it's not all this information is not really messing with me anyway because you think about all the stuff that people get angry about and it really doesn't really affect them day to day and they get so mad about it and it's like is this really going to affect you tomorrow no so if you cut it out and you just stay zoned in on what's what your world is and present in your world and to the people around you you're going to be a much much more happier person but it's so easy to just click that button and see what's going on in the world and get irate about it. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, as as we've moved 
away from physical contact with each other and that that kind of thing we've moved more towards this as we call it global citizenship which is uh, otherwise known as facebook and uh and so we think that we're connected because we're seeing all of this stuff yeah we're not in the present we're in you know we don't know if that post was uh photoshopped and if it was three years ago it was like I saw this uh, this video at the beginning of, of the pandemic stuff of this uh, string of tanks in Long Beach going down the road, right? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Tank after tank after tank. Yeah. And you think, that is this happening right now? No, that was three years ago. And it was basically when the military base was like having a, a parade of new equipment yep. to, the, to the military base. But you know, it's played as if it's happening now. And so the present becomes mixed with the past, which becomes convoluted in the future. And nobody knows what's, what's real yeah. for what's in here and what is in here, like your eyeballs in the natural world, meaning not on a screen. And, yep. uh, so- yeah, I have, a, I have a hope that it, we'd have to go through a much darker time, but with these deep fakes, the idea you can manipulate video is that we get to a point where you can't believe anything. Like you literally, I'm, I'm almost there personally where if I read anything, I'll triple check. If it's, if it's moving enough for me to say like, whoa, what is this? I'm trying to dig deep into the details to, to, to find the real truth. If we get to a point where you literally can't believe anything, video, audio, and headlines that people say it's all fake and then they really release themselves from from all the platforms if we get to that tipping point i thought we'd get there pre-political i thought there would be deep fakes with trump and biden saying things and and i thought that it would be used in a bigger way than it was but i think there's going to be a, a situation where we get to that point where you literally can't believe anything you see online that you're like all of this is fake even the stuff that I want to believe, it's all fake. And then you're going to see people really step back and say, I'm not using anything anymore. And we get back to a situation where we're in more of uh, local communities and maybe things like these um, neighborhood apps and stuff like that, which those even get volatile. I'm not sure if you're on any of those where yeah. the, the local neighborhood apps, they, they, get, they get political and um, it gets wacky real quick. And then now you're looking at your neighbor like, and you can't say anything you want to say because you that now they know where you live. Um, so yeah, it's we we're but here it is, man. It's it's all this technology is so new. We're just learning, we're just trying to figure out on the fly how we're supposed to use this stuff. And we got uh, uh, people with a lot of money that have their own agendas uh, pushing down among the people on how they want us to use this stuff. So it's it's scary times for real. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh end on an amazing note what are three tips tricks suggestions that you might have for our audience if they're planning on going on a trip somewhere or doing some digital nomadic nomadship uh you know give some some actionable things that they can do to create their new world today yeah yeah um so what i would do is 
if this is a dream of yours in the next six, nine, 12 months, three years, start early with the profiles that are important. Um, I was just, I was just saying bad things about the social, but there's, there's some platforms out there that are really positive. Like I said, we used WorkAway, we use trusted house sitters. WorkAway essentially is you giving your skills up. Oh, there's a long list of different skills that you could give to that community. And then people around the world will invite you into their homes um, to, to do that job for four to eight hours a day. And they'll give you a place to stay. And you're instantly involved with other volunteers and an amazing host into the community that you get to see real local um, experiences. But you don't want to wait last minute to do things like work away, meetups, trusted house sitters, all these amazing websites that help travel be cheaper because everybody thinks travel is real expensive. You can do travel in a, in a cheap way. And that's one of those ways. So if you set up those profiles now um, and you do things local. So if, if you're somebody who lives in Des Moines, Iowa, and you get on work away, you can actually do workaways in Iowa. So maybe on a weekend you go and you help um, Sally on her farm, do the goats, hang out with the goats. You stand at Sally's place. And then when you leave, Sally gives you five stars if you're building those five-star reviews early in the process, then you want to go um, go down to Machu Picchu in Peru for two weeks, keep your costs down. You can you can uh, um, maybe do some volunteer work in Cusco, Peru for six days. You meet locals, you're hanging out, you're helping with the bed and breakfast, you're staying for cheap, and then you get to go see Machu Picchu uh, because you have these great ratings. But you got to build these profiles up over time, and then that helps you become more trustworthy to those communities. So that would be my thing um, to, to really help keep the cost down from a budget standpoint is think strategic, strategically um, beyond that. And then, um, I know that's a long one because, and it's a lot of different things in there. So it's kind of three in one. And then I would just, from a financial standpoint, you wanna line things up. There's certain, there certain bank cards that work better for ATMs around the world. There's certain credit cards that give points to keep your travel mileage down. We use, we use that a bunch on the road. Um, and it's from a budgetary standpoint, that's what you want to do. And then I, I think it's great to dream. I think it's awesome to, to look at these locations around the world that you want to go to and um, do a lot of research and, and dream about these places and really uh, look at uh, the places you want to go to and think forward because it, it helps. Um, it just it, it boosts your um, positivity. Um, as you're as, as, as you're going through the grind of, of saving all that money that you need to travel, um, that dreaming process really helps out. Awesome. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you, if, uh, you know, how do they do that? The easiest way is probably passportjoy.com. That's Nikki and I's blog. It's got the, it's got the podcast on there. It's got our um, Amazon Prime series that you mentioned. I, I, I got a book um, that I've sold. So all that, all that stuff is on PassportJoy.com. Cool. And uh, last but not least, we're just going to, you know, send them off with the most amazing short story that you have from your travels. So just like what, what was the best experience you possibly had I think this will this will summarize a lot of things we talked about today about um, how amazing humans can be, and it was it was one of the highlights of my journey. So my big brother is extremely important in my life, and he's somebody that's kind of what we described prior, where 
hadn't really traveled that much and really lived in um, kind of a, not necessarily closed-minded, but couldn't understand what was out there. He would even ask me from time to time, like, Matt, I don't understand why you're doing these things. I don't understand why, why you're going to these places. And I would try to explain to him how amazing it was. So towards the end of our journey, him and his wife joined Nikki and I in Da Nang, Vietnam. And we had, uh, they had nine days there and we had the time of our lives, um, um, hanging out with them, going to the markets, showing them the, the, the fresh fruit at the restaurants, hanging out the beach, doing all the things you can do in Da Nang. It's an amazing city, one of our favorite places in the world. And during that adventure, my brother and I would go on these long scooter trips because the scooter lifestyle in Vietnam is, is tremendous. Um, so we take out these scooters and my brother's a big beefy guy. Like I said, I'm 6'6", six, six, about 240 pounds. My brother's like six foot, real stocky and big, one of the strongest dudes you'll ever meet. And uh, we're both, we both got a bunch of tattoos on us. And we're on these, on these scooters going out to see these beautiful mountains um, through, these, through these more rural settings where they're not used to seeing Americans. And it was, it was during the Chinese New Year, which is a huge celebration in Vietnam. Um, and so we're going out there, it's about an hour and 20 minutes out. And while we were going out, a bunch of people were waving at us. And at first I didn't understand what was going on, but then later it clicked that during the Chinese New Year, it's luck for them to invite people into their homes. So on the, we went and saw this amazing lake and in, in, in mountain that we were going to. And I told my brother, I said, hey, if we get invited to go to somebody's house, we're stopping. We got to stop, dude. And he's like, all right, we'll do it. So we're coming back. And sure enough, this kid was waving at us and like signaling us to come in. So we, we stopped at scooters and we pulled over and we go into their home. And it was a mate. One kid spoke English. He translated for the family. There was uh, his his father was there as well. He had worked in the he was been in the military, and um, so he was translating for the entire family. But they brought out all this food, all they brought out the Heineken beer, and they were just taking us in. And it was like, you got two beefhead looking Americans. We're 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 kind of intimidating if you didn't know us, and um, they're just inviting us into their home and bringing out the best stuff for us to have a broken conversation and to, to understand each other just a little bit better and to start their new year the right way. And we left there like, man, this is, it's just a tremendous um, feeling this, to know how amazing people can be and how inviting they can be. And um, we just both left there with an amazing experience and also just this, like this warm feeling of how awesome humans are. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. If you could leave everybody with, with one thought, one final thought that is uh, what you'd like, you know, all of these experiences that you've culminated together, you know, one thought that you'd like the, the, the audience members to get, what would that one thought be? I would say that uh, it's okay to want to live out your dreams and um, it, it's okay to dream big and then want to, uh, to, to work through it and make it happen. Before we took this big adventure, there was no way I could live this out. I've made every excuse in my mind why it just wasn't for me. And then finally it clicked to say like, hey, I can do this too. And um, I'm sure there's, there's a listener out there that's saying they've been dreaming about this for a while and thinking it's not, it's, it's not possible for them. But I promise you, you can do it. Um, we did it. And uh, now I've got other dreams that I'm working on and it's possible for you to, to do it as well. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for being here. I know that the audience members have gotten a lot from this. And uh, this is your host, Ari Gronich, with another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, comment below so that we can start conversations that change the world, create a new tomorrow today, and activate our vision for a better world. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And we're out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.